Lord, we ask that you would visit us now and do a work in our hearts. Make us people who, who love your promise, people who love your salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would make us like this servant of Abraham who was sent on a mission to find the bride of the beloved son. I pray, Lord, that you would make this church so evangelistic. Make, us, make it so, Lord, that we can't stop talking about the gospel. Send people from here to the ends of the earth. Send people from here into every corner of Louisville. And Lord, we pray that the, the seed of the gospel, the good news, would be directed by your sovereign providence the way that this unnamed servant was directed to Rebecca. And we pray that as we, as we seek out the bride of Christ, your redeemed, who just don't know you yet, we pray, Lord, that you would prosper our way as you prospered this servant's. We love you. We pray that you would teach us now. We pray that you'd help us to understand the scriptures. Give us insight. Make us know what your people should do in this generation. Make us wise unto salvation. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I would invite you to open this morning to Genesis chapter 24, where we have a different chapter. It's different because... As you've seen in chapters 12 through 22, we're really focused on the life of Abraham from the way that God called him in chapter 12 to the way that he was called to sacrifice Isaac in chapter 22. And then in chapter 23, the focus is still on Abraham as he buries his beloved wife, Sarah. And then after this chapter, chapter 24, we're going to see Abraham die. And then in the same way that the narrative really focused on Abraham from chapters 12 through 22, it's going to focus on Jacob, starting in, in some ways in, in the middle of 25, but it really gets going in, in 26 and 27, and it stays focused on Jacob through chapter 35, and then you get one chapter about Esau, and then the rest of the book largely is focused on Joseph. So as you think in these sort of wide-angle terms about the book of Genesis, you've got 12 through 22 on Abraham, 27 through 35 on Joseph, and then 37 to the end, I'm sorry, Jacob, and then 37 to the end on Joseph. It's the big guys, the main characters who get all the space. But then there's a chapter like 24, where you have this unnamed servant who is the main actor throughout this narrative. And one of the striking things about this, I think, for us, is it's a lot easier for us to identify with someone like this unnamed servant, I think, than perhaps with Abraham, because I suspect that none of us, like Abraham, have had a direct encounter with the living God, where God revealed himself to us and spoke to us like he did to Abraham. But we, we read accounts from people like that, and it seems that in, in this chapter, we're reading about someone who came to know God, the God of the Bible, the Lord, because God had revealed himself to Abraham. And, and so in this chapter, we're reading about someone like ourselves. We have come to know God because of the testimony 
of those who encountered him directly, the testimony that we have in the scriptures. This is a long chapter. We, we, our, our family, we often, in the, in the night, nights of the week leading up to Sunday morning, we often will read the sermon text every night. Last night we sat down to, to uh, do family devotions and read the sermon text together, and one of my kids said, oh, this is that eternal passage. <laughs> it's not eternal, but it is 67 verses long. But I think that we can move through it quickly because of the clear way that Moses has structured it for us and because of the way that he has focused it on the promise and the realization of the promise to Abraham. So here's a kind of big question I would encourage you to be asking yourself and reflecting on in response to this sermon in in coming days. How are you related to the promise? How are you related to the promise? We have seen in this book of Genesis that God's promise to Abraham is really about the way that God is going to accomplish salvation. It's about the way that God is going to give Abraham a child, Isaac, and then a line of descent from Isaac. And through that child, salvation is going to come to all the families of the earth. And through that salvation, the land is going to be made new, new heavens and new earth. And all of God's people are going to experience God's blessing. So land, seed, and blessing, this is what God promised to Abraham. And how are you related to the promise of land, seed, and blessing to Abraham? Which really comes into how are you related to the seed of promise, the Lord Jesus? As we look at this passage, let let me start by just noting again the way it's nestled. This chapter about a wife of Isaac, a wife for Isaac is nestled between accounts of the death of his parents. Chapter 23, death of Sarah. Chapter 25, death of Abraham. Chapter 24, a wife for Isaac. What does that communicate? That says Abraham's going to die, Sarah's going to die, but the line of descent is going to continue. The line of descent has been ensured because Abraham made provision for a wife for Isaac. And so the book of Genesis is really focused on this this line of descent, the the seed of promise from which eventually the Lord Jesus is going to come. And Moses has helped us in this chapter by highlighting for us the importance of God's promise to Abraham. So let me just draw your attention to verse 1 where we read, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And you remember Genesis 12, 1 through 3, right? Where God pl- promised to bless Abraham. So it's like, it's like Moses is waving the banner of Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the blessing of Abraham for us. And, and right at the outset, he's saying, this is what's important, the blessing of Abraham. And then you may remember that there in Genesis 12, the Lord had articulated those blessings in 12, 1 through 3, and then he had promised Abraham in 12, 7, to your offspring, to your seed, I will give this land. Look at, look at Genesis chapter 24, verse 7, near the end of the verse, kind of in the middle of the verse. To your offspring, I will give this land. It's a restatement of the promise in 12.7. And then sort of in the middle of this passage, this, what's going to happen here is uh, we're going to get a story told that involves this servant, and, and we're going to get to the end of that story And then the servant is going to tell the story again. So this chapter really breaks nicely into two sections. 
The first time, the narrator tells the story, and we see the servant enact it. And then the second time, the servant tells the story. So if you look down at verse 34, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. This is the beginning of the second time through the story. And in verse 35, the Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. This is exactly what the Lord promised to Abraham in Genesis 12 too. I will bless you and make your name great. So the servant, it's like the servant is saying, God has done for Abraham what he promised to do for him in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And then as, we, as we've worked through, you know that after God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham obeyed in the midst of that narrative in Genesis 22, 17, the Lord says this to Abraham, I will surely bless you, reiterating 12, 1 through 3, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring, singular, shall possess the gate of his enemies, indicating that the blessing for all nations and the, the end of the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is all going to come through this one conquering seed of Abraham who's going to reign over all his enemies. That's Genesis twenty two seventeen. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Look at Genesis twenty four sixty. They say to Rebekah at the end of verse 60, may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. It's exactly what twenty two seventeen said. So at the beginning of the chapter... In verse uh, 1, and then again shortly after that in verse 7, and then in the middle of the chapter in verse 35, and then there's some other uh, similar stuff through the middle, but then at the end of the chapter, it's like blessing of Abraham, blessing of Abraham, blessing of Abraham. Moses doesn't want you to miss that this chapter is about the preservation of the line of descent through which the Savior comes. That's what makes this important. And then that bit about us being able to identify with this servant who is sent on this mission, uh, what we're trying to do is connect our lives to the beloved son who came for the salvation of the world, the fulfillment of the seed of promise. We're trying to do for the Lord Jesus what this servant does for Abraham and for Isaac. And so it's, it's remarkable to me that in the middle of this big book, 50 chapters, a lot about Abraham, a lot about Jacob, a lot about Joseph, there's this whole chapter on this guy who's not even named. So look with me at, at the first instance of the story, and as we go, I'll try to give you the, some of the literary indicators and, uh, that, that Moses has built into the narrative and, and, and draw your attention to things that I think we shouldn't miss. We read here in verse 1, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Verse 2, And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. Let's just stop there. I bet you can guess who this guy might be. Because back in chapter 15, Abraham named one of his servants, and he said, this guy is going to inherit everything that I have. You remember that guy's name? Eliezer of Damascus. It, we're, not told direct, we're not told that this is Eliezer, but I suspect that one of the reasons we're not told is to, to impress upon us the point that his identity is not the issue. And I don't, I'm not trying to be offensive to you here this morning, but look, your identity is not the issue either. Your identity, who you are, is not the issue. You are not important. 
okay? I'm not trying to be offensive to you. Really, what I'm trying to do is liberate you from self-centeredness and self-aggrandizement and self-delusion. We are so not the point. You know who the point is? Jesus. Jesus is the point. In the same way that the point of this chapter is a wife for Isaac, the point is not this servant's identity. The point is we need to preserve the line of descent for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you so resonate with John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. We are not the point. And if this guy is Eliezer of Damascus, he is not the point. Then Abraham tells this guy here at the end of verse 2, put your hand under my thigh. And let me just draw your eyes down to verse 9. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham. Okay, so those two references to the hand going under the thigh, they bracket this first unit. And in this first unit, this, this first nine verses of the chapter is about the oath that Abraham wants this guy to take. So he says, put your hand under my thigh, verse 2, verse 3, that I may make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Now, if we just sort of back up from this, there, there are all kinds of thoughts and questions that start swimming through your mind in response to this statement. I mean, one thing that might swim through your mind is, we're going to see in a couple of chapters, Jacob steal both the birthright and the blessing of his brother Esau. And if this is Eliezer of Damascus, he was in line to inherit everything from Abraham. So Abraham's now about to die. What could Eliezer, oh, Isaac, we're going to learn that Isaac is 40 years old when he marries uh, Rebekah. That means that Abraham's 140 years old. Abraham's old. If this guy Eliezer, uh, the servant, whoever he is, if he's in it for himself, what's the quickest way for him to enrich himself? Just take out, a, take out Abraham and then arrange an accident for Isaac. And then he's in charge of everything that belongs to Abraham. Why is his heart not there? His heart's not there, I submit to you, because he wants to see God's salvation come. He's committed to the promise that God has made to Abraham. He's committed to the God who has revealed himself to Abraham. And he's living for that, not for his own wealth and enjoyment of everything that he might have access to. So Abraham says, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth. I think Abraham knows that this guy believes in this God. That you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. What's this about? Well, if we go back to Genesis 9, you remember that Noah, after his son Ham dishonored him, Noah cursed the descendants of Ham, which included the Canaanites. That means that the Canaanites are under the curse of God. They cannot receive the blessing of Abraham because they're identified with the seed of the serpent. That's what this is about. It's about Abraham saying, God has brought a curse upon the inhabitants of Canaan, and so I can't have Isaac intermarrying with one of these people because they're opponents of God. And so Abraham is going to send this servant back to his own country to, to find a wife from his own kinsmen. So we continue to read there. Uh, notice at the end of verse 4, Do not take a wife, you, you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites 
among whom I dwell. This is land that's been promised to Abraham. It's going to be his land, but right now the Canaanites occupy it. Verse 4, but we'll go to my country, that's where he came from, and to my kindred, and take a wife from my son Isaac. So th this is introduced, and, and then the servant, Abraham tells him what he wants him to do, and then the servant says in verse 5, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Now this is a really interesting question that's raised. It's, a, it's an interesting question because what we're reading about is a patriarchal world. And if you were here for Sunday school, you heard Denny talk some about patriarchy. Uh, this patriarchal world is a world where fathers are responsible for those under their care. And Abraham is a patriarch. He's, he's responsible for all of uh, his people. And yet they have a category for this woman not being willing to return. And that woman, we're going to find out this is Rebecca. At the end of the chapter, they're going to say, the patriarchs in Rebecca's life, her father and her, her brother Laban, they're going to say, call her and ask her if she wants to go. And, and everybody seems to assume, well, if she doesn't want to go, we're not going to make her. And, and that's the way it's going to be. And look at what Abraham says right here. He says, perhaps, the, the servant says, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there, because this is the land God has promised to Abraham. Verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, Genesis 12, 7, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you. We'll come back to that. And you shall take a wife for my son from there. Verse 8, but if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So if you were here for Sunday school, you heard Denny talk about how feminist propaganda has slandered this word patriarchy by loading it with connotations of abuse and oppression and coercion. Well, here, Abraham is saying, if she's not willing, you're released from the oath. That's the kind of father we see Abraham be. And, and Laban and Bethuel, Rebekah's father, they're going to say, call her, ask her if she wants to go. And it, it, clear, it clearly leads to the end. Now, Rebecca says, I'll go. But the implication is clearly there that if she was not willing, they were not going to make her go. Look back at that statement in verse 7. To your offspring I will give this land. He will, this is what the Lord said to Abraham. He will send his angel before you. Now, if you've got your biblical antennae turned on, this may sound familiar to you. Because this is what the Lord said to the people of Israel in Exodus 23, verse 20. He said, I will send my angel before you to prepare the way for you as, you as you make your way through the wilderness to the land of promise. And Moses is writing this account to that generation. Moses is the author of the Pentateuch, and he's telling the generation that comes out of the wilderness to whom the Lord says, I will send my angel before you, this story about this servant who went on this successful mission and the Lord sent his angel before the servant in the same way that he's promised to do for the people of Israel. You see the relevance of it? This is the way that God leads his people. This is the way that God provides for his people. And then in the next section, in verses 10 through 21, we see the servant's response to this. The servant's response to this is to pray. And, and what we're going to see... And this story is going to be told twice where we're going to get the swearing of the oath and then the prayer offered and then Rebecca appear 
and the prayer turns out to be answered. That's the way it's going to go. So look at verse 10. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed. And I did a little bit of, you know, looking into camels. They're amazing creatures. They can go at least a week, and, and in some cases, almost a month without water. And that's why they're, you know, often used to travel through the And they can carry massive loads. They can carry a lot of weight, and they need very little water so they, they can travel well through the wilderness, through the desert. Servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia. Uh, you'll see a footnote that tells you in the lower, lower margin that this is Aram Naharayim. And this is also going to be associated with Haran, the city that Abraham, when he came up out of Ur of the Chaldees, he and made his way to the land of promise. He stopped in Haram. Haran. That seems to be where this servant goes when he goes to Mesopotamia. And we, it's not exactly uh, possible to pinpoint where these locations were, but this is probably a journey that would have taken 17 days. And you get just a few words on it there. He arose and went to Mesopotamia. 17, 20-day journey, that's it. You know, he was, he was here in Hebron, now he's up in Aram Naharayim, and that's it. That's all you get about that. To the city of Nahor, verse 11. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, now here's his prayer in verse 12. O Lord, and if, if you're looking at a text of the Bible, you see that the word Lord has those, those, lower, those small caps. So he says, O Yahweh, God of my master Abraham. So it seems that this is a guy who knows God because he's had God revealed himself to, God revealed himself to Abraham and Abraham has communicated the knowledge of God to him. O Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, he says, please grant me success today. And show steadfast love, chesed, to my master, Abraham. This guy knows God, and he knows the character of God. And what he appeals for in his prayer is steadfast love. And, and the form of that steadfast love is, Lord, you've made this promise about the seed of the woman, who's been now identified as the seed of Abraham. Well, we need your steadfast love to bring that promise to pass. I'm on this mission that's, that's to bring about a wife for, for Isaac so that the line of descent can continue. So operate your steadfast love here. Do stead, show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Verse 13, he says, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink. And I will water your camels. Now let's just pause and think about this. He, this woman is going, she's probably got at least like a five-gallon water jar. And she's making trips from wherever she lives down to the spring, the well. And she's going to fill that five-gallon jar. And then she's going to carry it back up to her place of residence. And this is probably not the only trip that she has to make. She, she might have to make multiple trips to get all the water necessary for the household. This is, this is her task, her chore. And he is going to interrupt her in her daily responsibilities. And she's not only going, she's not only not going to say, 
get your own water. (laughs) She's not going to say that. She's going to look at his situation and say, not only will I give you water, I see, because I'm an observant person, because I'm interested in other people around me, I see that you have 10 camels with you. And I can clearly discern that you've been on a journey. And I will also provide water for your camels. You can look this up online. Some estimates indicate that camels can drink 15 gallons in 10 minutes. And the guy has, the guy has 10 camels with him. This is not going to be just, you know, one, one jug full of water that she's going to be dumping into the water trough. She's probably going to be at this for a little while if, if she interrupts her duties and takes on this, this task. Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. In the middle of verse 14, by this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So he's asking the Lord for steadfast love, and he's asking for something specific. And here we see the providence of God. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, and then the author is going to tell us who Rebekah is. Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Somehow, without GPS, without Google Maps, this guy has come to the very spring where Abraham's family is. And he's gotten there at the very moment and offered this prayer at the very moment. Look at those words. Before he had finished speaking in verse 15, when Rebekah, descendant of Abraham's brother, comes out with her water jar on her shoulder. And then he tells us in verse 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maid, a virgin, whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. So we saw his prayer offered in verses, verse 14. Now we're going to see it answered. His prayer is offered, then Rebecca is introduced. Now his prayer is answered. Verse 17, the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar, jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Now, uh, all authors, you know, I'm not, I'm, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I am not about to do some kind of moralistic legalism, okay? I am going to suggest that authors commend behaviors and discourage behaviors. So they will commend the behaviors that, that the good guys in the narrative undertake as a result of which good things happen. And then Bad things that people do that bring about bad consequences, they are subtly often telling you, don't do that. This author, Moses, I think, is commending a kind of observant, servant-hearted awareness of your circumstances and a willingness to, to look at other people, to recognize what they need, and to offer to help. And good things will happen. Good things will There is nothing more important for you to learn than for you to learn to serve other people. And and I submit to you that Moses means to commend that kind of lifestyle here. Verse 20, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels, all 10 of them, probably if it's a five-gallon jug, 
many, many trips to, to fill the trough for these camels. Verse 21, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Remember back in verse 12, he prays, please grant me success today. And now he's looking at her to see whether the Lord has prospered his journey. He's prayed, he's taken action, and the Lord has answered his prayers, and he's going to respond with worship in this next section, verse 22 and following. We read here, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels, and those things are going to be named again down in verse 30. So he takes these things out and he says, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And now she's going to rehearse her parentage, her line of descent again for us. It's like the narrator, he's going to repeat this information because he wants you to, to, to know the significance of the fact that this is not a Canaanite. This is somebody who's of Abraham's family. She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. Verse 26. And before I read this, let me just say, if you commit yourself to the Lord and you go about the Lord's business and you pray to the Lord to prosper your business and he answers your prayer, this is how you should respond. Verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. Don't leave that part out. I mean, I know that we are all the time throwing up prayers to the Lord. Lord, help me in this situation. Lord, we, we, are, we are constantly praying for things at this church. You heard Chris pray fervently earlier in this service. When your prayers are answered, worship the Lord. He deserves our thanks and praise. And he says in verse 27, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. That's what he prayed for was steadfast love. Lord, show steadfast love to my my master Abraham. And now he's saying, blessed be the Lord who has done not only steadfast love, but faithfulness, chesed and emet. This is who God is, his loving kindness and his truth, his reliability. And then he says, as for me, Yahweh has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Back in verse 7, he will send his angel before you. And now he says, he's led me in the way. We see here God's providential ordering of this guy's circumstances. Verse 28, then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. And, and you know, I asked that question, how are you related to the promise? We return to that question here when we meet Laban. Verse 29, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And, you know, I'm going to read this next verse, and I, I suspect I won't even need to comment on it. I, I will comment on it. But what, what, what impression does this give you about Laban? Verse 30, as soon as he saw the ring... And the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. How do you think Laban is related to this situation? Do you get the impression that Laban is thinking something like this? God revealed himself to Abraham. 
God made a promise about the salvation of the world to Abraham. And now here is Abraham's servant on a mission to bring about the fulfillment of the promise. And we are looking for the salvation of the world. We need this message. We need this servant. Because we're into this, interested in this program that God is up to. That's not how he's acting, is it? The way he's acting is the way that all of us are so inclined to act. The way that we need to, re- we need to repent when, when we feel our hearts do this. What's in this for me? What can I get out of this? How can I milk this to my benefit? How can I enrich myself? How can I bring myself more pleasure? Verse 31, he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So now we got the story told. Now it's going to be told again. Same elements of the story. The oath, the prayer offered, the meeting of Rebekah, the prayer answered, the worship, and the appearance of Laban. It's all going to come at us again, starting in verse 34. We'll move quickly through it. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. Here's the promise again, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. Abraham is enormously wealthy. As we noted from Genesis 14, when he had those 318 trained men in his house, maybe thousands of people who who are under Abraham's shepherding, patriarchal protection. But here's the key thing, verse 36. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master. The promise of the seed was kept by the Lord. Sarah conceived. The child was given. When she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear. So here comes the oath again. So this section matches the first nine verses of the chapter. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. Abraham's dwelling in the land of the Canaanites. God has promised that land to Abraham. The Canaanites are under the curse of the Lord. Abraham, for the blessing to continue, he can't have Isaac intermarry with the Canaanites. So verse 38, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, verse 39, perhaps the woman will not follow me. I submit to you that biblical patriarchy is not coercive. It's not abusive. It's not oppressive. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you. This is restating what we saw in verse 7 quoted or, or referenced in Exodus 23, 20, also referenced in Malachi 3, 1, to be fulfilled in John the Baptist. When John the Baptist comes on the scene in Mark chapter 1, that Malachi 3, 1 is quoted. I send my messenger before your face. Malachi, or Mark 1, verse 2. Prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. Remember back in verse 21, the servant is looking to see if the Lord has prospered his way. You shall take a wife from my son, from my clan, and from my father's house. 
Verse 41, then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan, and if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. If they won't give her to you or she's not willing to come, the oath is, is voided. Verse 42, so there's the oath. Now here comes the prayer and the meeting of Rebekah and the answer to the prayer. Verse 42, I came today to the spring and said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom Yahweh has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, third time we're seeing this, whom Milcah bore to him, not a Canaanite, not a Philistine, part of the family of Abraham. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. And now here's the worship again. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, look at that, the character of God, the servant now says to Laban and Bethuel, if you guys are going to be godly in response to me, if you're going to show chesed and emet, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. What's interesting about this is if you compare it with what happens later with Laban, Laban strikes a deal with Jacob to keep Jacob for seven years. And then he, he, he extorts another seven years out of, out of Laban through his trickery so that Laban winds up serving, Jacob winds up serving Laban for 14 years and then another six years. So Laban keeps Jacob for 20 years. And this servant is shrewd enough to avoid all that. He says, look, you need to tell me right now whether you're going to be steadfast love and faithful to Abraham or not. One way or another, I'm leaving. He's not having any of this holding me here, keeping me from accomplishing my mission. Verse 50. Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as Yahweh has spoken. And in verse 52, here it is again. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before Yahweh. Don't you love this guy? This, I mean, I love that statement in Psalm 119, verse 63. I am a companion of all who fear you. This guy fears the Lord. He is worshiping God at every turn. Verse 53, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank. Remember, the food was offered back up earlier. Now they're partaking of it. And they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Laban's going to try. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. This guy's on a mission. He's not going to get delayed. He's not going to get distracted. Verse 57, they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. 
And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And then here's the, the quotation of Genesis twenty-two seventeen in verse 60. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. It's almost like they know that God has promised to multiply Abraham's descendants, to be like the stars of heaven or like the dust of the earth. And may your seed possess the gate of those who hate him. It's almost like they know Abraham's story, that God has promised this to Abraham. And don't miss, too, the way that this brings together the beginning of Abraham's story from verse 1. The Lord had blessed Abraham and the end of Abraham's story from Genesis 22. It's like the whole story of Abraham is summarized in these two quotations. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now in this last little section, Isaac and Rebekah are going to meet. And I want to move through this quickly and then we'll, we'll back up and I want to suggest some applications and some ways that this, is, uh, this resonates through the rest of the Bible. So verse 62, Isaac had returned from Be'er Lachai Roy, and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. So note, he's in the field. And then in, in the next statement, he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And then verse 64, and Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, you notice how both Isaac and Rebekah lifted up their eyes and saw. That's right in the middle. She dismounted from the camel, camels mentioned on both sides of this, and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? So it's like field, lifted up eyes, saw, lifted up eyes, saw, field. You know, it's, it works back through the passage. The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And we know that the child of promise is going to come through this union. Jacob is going to come through this union. And from Jacob will come Judah, and from Judah will come David, and from David will come the Lord Jesus. Now let's just, let's just step back from this passage and think about this twice-told tale. The narrator tells us the story, and then the servant tells us the story. Why would Moses write it up this way? Well, I think one thing Moses wants us to see is Abraham's commitment not to intermarry with the seed of the serpent, the Canaanites, the people who are under God's curse. And, and one reason for that is because when they start getting mixed up with the unbelievers, the peoples of the land, in the book of Judges, God's judgment is going to come upon them. God's wrath comes upon them, and they wind up getting exiled from the land. You remember what Solomon did? Solomon married foreign women, and they turned his heart away, and he worshipped their gods. So it's, it's almost like Moses is saying, be like Abraham. Don't intermarry with those who are under the curse. I think Moses also wants to commend prayer. I think Moses wants to stress he, so much that he tells the story twice. God answers prayer. 
And when you pray, you should pray, you should make sure that your prayers are connected to God's promises, connected to God's character. Connect your promises to the character, connect your prayers, sorry, to the character and the promises of God. Those are the kinds of prayers that God answers. And the New Testament tells us that if we pray in the name of Jesus, we know that we have whatever we ask of him. And, and I submit to you that praying in the name of Jesus means you pray in accordance with the character of God, you pray in accordance with the promises of God. These are the kinds of prayers that God answers. Third, I think we see here God's providence. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are the holy, wise, and powerful acts by which he sustains and governs all his creatures and all their actions. God's providence is glorious. And Moses shows it to us twice. And then fifth, no, fourth, fourth, worship. Worship in response to God's providential answering of the prayers. And then uh, one more thing here. I, I think this servant is a model of shrewdness. I think he, he understands Laban and he, and, he, and he discerns what Laban is up to and he's shrewd in the way that he deals with Laban. So it's almost like he's heard a master say, be gentle as doves, shrewd as serpents. And then the whole story, really, is about marriage, isn't it? Marriage is in a bad way in our culture. I read this morning that in 2009, the numbers tipped so that we had more single adult females in this country than married for the, like the first time in the country's history. And if, if, you're, if you're aware of the, like the cultural headwinds, you know that, that often marriage is sort of tied in with the patriarchy, and, and so many women, it seems, are rejecting any, any association with marriage and fewer people are getting married and they're waiting longer and longer to get married. And um, I, I, I just want to commend marriage to you. I think it's a great thing. And listen, um, single ladies, I'm trying to help you here, okay? Guys, single guys, you need to get after it. Don't sit around and wait for God's providence, okay? Take action, Pray and then see God's providence come into action, all right? Lastly, um, it's interesting that the servant meets Rebekah by a well. Jacob is going to meet Rachel at a well. Moses is going to meet his wife Zipporah at a well. And that pattern of this meeting of wives at a well, I think, comes to its culmination in the passage that Chris read earlier when the Lord Jesus meets this Samaritan woman, a Gentile, who's a sinner, at a well. And I think it, it subtly communicates that the bride of Christ is met at a well, just as these wives of the patriarchs and of Moses were met at a well. All things come to their culmination and fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus, we would love to talk with you more about him. We, we would love to explain to you how he is the one who comes in fulfillment of all these promises about the seed of, the, of Abraham. And he is the one who, as Isaac was offered up, the beloved son Isaac was offered up in Genesis 22, the Lord Jesus was offered up as a sacrifice of propitiation. propitiation. And because of his death and resurrection, God can forgive your sin, and he can make you new, and, 
and he can give you an, a new life and, and the hope of resurrection from the dead. We would love to talk further with you about these things. I'll be in the back afterwards. I'd love for you to come and visit with me about these things. There, there's probably somebody seated next to you that would be thrilled to talk with you about these things. So please don't leave here today. If you want to know more about Jesus, don't leave here today without talking to somebody about Jesus. We would love to have you follow Jesus with us. And those of us who know Jesus, let's lose ourselves in the task given to us by the Master. Let's live in such a way that our identity means nothing to us. Let's be like the Apostle Paul who said, I consider my life of no count at all, only that I may spend and be spent for the gospel. That's how Paul lived. Let's live like this servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great story, and we thank you for the literary skill that Moses cultivated and worked at to tell the story to us. And we praise you that you inspired him by the Holy Spirit to write this up for our benefit. And Lord, we pray that you would make us wise, make us good students of the scriptures. Cause our hearts to say with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. Lord, we, we thank you for this word that is sweeter than honey from the comb. And we pray that you would cause all of our, all of our efforts all of our thinking about who we are and why we live to be brought into line with your purposes, your promises, your character. Father, we are insufficient for these tasks, but you are able. And so we bring to you our requests and we lift up our hands to you. And we pray that you would work, that you would show steadfast love, that you would be faithful to your promises. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.